G'day and welcome to Radio Notes, where those in music talk life and those in life chat music and more. I'm John Merch. As I was putting today's episode together, I've been listening to a cover done by the wonderful Jess Cornelius of I Can't Tell You Why. I mention that as this particular artist shares the same record label as our guest today, that of Part-Time Records that used to be Neighbours with Clarity Records, but now, fun fact, are part of the neighbourhood for which our very studio is based. Siberian Tiger is the pairing of Bree Tranter and Chris Panasakis who have recorded a debut six-track release called First Dance by the seaside in their home in South Australia, a place far from their touring musician's life working with the likes of the Middle East, Matt Colby and Timberwolf. The lead single, Call On Me, showcases tango dances held at the local RSL club and was captured by no less than Nick McKinley, who has shot with artists like Julia Jacklin and Stella Donnelly in the past. John joined Chris and Bree a few days after First Dance was released for this chat. Thank you for letting us into your space, into your studio space, in fact, into the home. How have the first couple of days been? Mm, really nice. We've had um, so many um, people acknowledge the music and acknowledge us. It's been really, really lovely. Yeah, a big sort of straight up shout out to Part-Time Records and Remote Control who helped us release it. You know, they've done a really mm. good job of helping the music spread further than perhaps it would if it was just Brian and myself. And yeah, we, we really enjoyed seeing it get on these playlists on Apple Music and Spotify. And, and local radio stations. Local radios and people sending us messages, you know, with their direct experiences to the music. And yeah, that, that's been quite nice because other than that, we've been quite solitary for a few months, as a, a lot of people have been. Chris, can you have a chat to us regarding that of part-time records? Emma's a, a good mate of mine, um, and I've always known her for for years since I was in the, the music industry in South Australia, at least. And we went to the Wheat Sheaf just to talk life and catch up because it had been a while. And we were talking Timberwolf things, and then Emma said, you know, well, what else have you have you been up to? Have you got any demos floating around? And I had a few songs that I'd written that maybe I guess uh, I never write a song with an intention of where it's going to go is sort of an afterthought to you you know I've always written songs and then collected a bunch and gone well that would sound good as a Timbal VP or that should never see the light of day or I had a few songs and Emma just I don't know why I played them to her on my phone at the pub Emma sort of looked at me and the jaw dropped and she said what you're gonna you're telling me that there's no way these songs will ever see the light of day and I said probably not you know they're They've been and gone, per se. And she said, well, you know, I've been thinking about trying to start up a record label <laughs> with Joel. And she said, well, what if we, you know, if you gave us these songs, maybe we could release them for you and that could be the first release. And I, to be honest, I sort of took it with a pinch of salt at the time. I thought, yeah, I mean, that's a great idea, but how do people actually put the rubber to the road on that stuff? Mm. And it's, it's quite a journey. But trust Emma to do that and Joel. And next thing we knew, we were having these conversations about yeah, Bree and I were talking about oh, becoming a band together and singing on each other's songs or all the demos we had and then it just sort of rolled and, and here we are, you know, the EP's out and they're, they're quite an established label already, you know. Independent records, because they have that freedom, can actually engage in a different way. So if you're willing to go an inch, they'll actually go a mile. Yeah, it's funny, the song ended up being a little more produced than perhaps even Emma and Joel wanted at the start. 
because they were just old demos acoustic yeah quite acoustic yeah. informal and and you know there were some buzzes and hisses on some of the tracks because we recorded it all ourselves and and in the end Emma and Joel they would have been happy with the music quite a, quite a while before I got my hands on it and needed to remodel it because I can get a bit pedantic in the studio and then when we started adding Bree's voice and and the piano tracks in and all the flutes in and all these things to some old demos I got a bit carried away but I'm glad I did because yeah it would have been selling us all short if I'd released maybe something that was rough as it used to be let's talk about the siberian tiger decision because obviously as you said it's you had some music there was some demos lying around so brie to you when was that decided that siberian tiger would become a thing (laughs) uh literally after chris came back from the pub we went for a drive down to the beach and he's like hey she's caught up with m He's like, you know those songs I've got sitting around? And you know how you have some songs sitting around? I don't know, wouldn't it be cool to just make a duet band? Isn't that kind of the dream anyway? Like two partners that tour music together in so many different ways would have their own music. And he's like, you weren't even going to release some of those demos. And I wasn't going to release these demos. Wouldn't that be a great idea? And I just thought, yes. Musically, I want to talk about the call and the response on this particular record. Conscious decision or just that, that because of the partnership, it's come about? One of us takes a verse. Yeah, lyrically. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then perhaps um, you're singing something, then I'm in the background of the vocals. It is a bit call and response. Yeah, I think, um, well, well Bree and I don't ever sit down together and say, hey, today we're going to write a song together from scratch. It's almost always Brie will have some beautiful chords and lyrics and I'll hear that and go, oh, well, maybe we could add this and vice versa. You know, if I'm just strumming some chords, Brie will say, well, that kind of makes me feel like this. And then so in that sense, it always is by virtue, a bit of a call and response process. Mm. And and obviously I play guitar and sing and that would be my two instruments of choice. And, you know, Brie sings, plays piano and has flute. So to build the stuff out of those Strengths, I guess, is the easiest way we found with this EP, at least, to look at it. You know, we don't have any drums in there apart from some program drums that we knocked up. And it's all sort of within the means of what our natural call and response is anyway. Mm. What do you think about, for example, when we do cover gigs and stuff like that? Mm. That's a good example of that, I would say. The way that we've sort of learned to dance around each other and Ah. and if someone calls, then the next person responds. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty simple for two people and you don't solo over each other. So it's just naturally call and response, I reckon. Trust between mm. the two of you that you can present and be offered something in return. That that trust can be a bit of a baptism by fire. Bree and I are quite different when it comes to our instincts in music and our initial taste. And so, you know, we played so many gigs together in different bands that the trust that forms is, that's been building over a very long time. The ability mm. to be able to understand and predict each other musically. I don't know if we're still there, but it helps inform some decisions about the recording process. I agree. When was the first dance for you two together as a partnership or even as a future partnership? Hmm. With music, you mean? Or how we became a couple? I didn't put any uh, meaning whatsoever <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I guess we were just working together so much. I was working Chris's band. And, uh, yeah, solely after a few times of playing together, I reckon we started hanging out a little bit closer. Yeah. 
we did a lot of music together first. It's like a year or so. Yeah. So the dance was very much regarding the musicality that was occurring. Yeah, and it, like you find it in a lot of workplaces anyway. People seem to to be enamored by or they fall for people who have common interests and do the thing that you sort of understand in a different way than you do it and it's a good spark for admiration and mm. I think over time just by playing music with each other we you develop other connections and bonds and emotions and it doesn't happen with everyone you play music with but in this case it was quite nice and it just seemed to all fit to open up any of those doors on this said waltz or you know or first dance mm. we started off pre-playing a bit of keyboard and flute for a Timberwolf tour which is a small one and then we tried writing a song together and then yeah you did some bvs on something and yeah we just ended up doing more and more musically together it was, was kind of nice and you had some life changes where you hmm. wanted to move out of sydney and yeah yeah what was it like for you to decide to come back to south australia as the home base it's very different for me than it is for chris so i already toured the world quite a lot i was pretty satisfied um, and I lived in Sydney for five years and then I eventually moved to the south coast of Sydney I love the city I was right in the heart of the city but it slowly was getting to me and I guess like living overseas quite a lot as well it was just a lot of um, a lot of noise and like I don't mind that I can reframe really easy but uh just for the record, that noise was the dog. <laughs> that is one of the noises in our life. He, he might uh, he might continue <laughs> parking. But yeah, I don't know. I, um, I'm originally from Townsville, so I like small towns. I like a lot of nature. And Sydney has a lot of nature as well. And when it comes to the music scene, it, it, it was perfect place to be. I got a lot of work living there. I wasn't aiming to be a session musician. I just, I met people. People liked me. And then they needed a keyboardist and it kind of happened really naturally. But being in that city helped, obviously. And I guess I was on a good flow with that. And so, I don't know, after a few big tours in a serious breakup, I was like, I'm going to move to the coast and live there for a bit and find myself again in nature apart from this big city. And then I guess eventually I started working with Chris and... And then um, maybe a few months, six months after that, we started dating. And then... He's a pretty good catch. He's a pretty good catch, yeah. And, oh, um, I feel like I'm the one punching up here. But. <laughs> I guess we came to a point where we're like, well, we've got to choose a city. And it's worth yeah. saying, at that point, I was over in New South Wales heaps, doing writing and touring, and but always based here. There was a Timberwolf uh, tour to Canada and then we did LA. And I, yeah, I did LA for a bit, did some songwriting there and then came back and then went to Sydney and then did some time in Melbourne. And it really did for a good solid year. Felt like I was, I might as well have been based anywhere other than here. But yeah, Adelaide was always a place I'd fly home to. But then Bree moved to Thoreau and the more work I started doing in Sydney and co-writing, I'd make a trip down and visit. And then, yeah, it was mm. quite nice. It was nice for the time we had there. But it was very expensive. Right. It's like a little beach town, um, mm. very close to Wollongong. Hour by train um, from the airport in Sydney. So, you know, to do long distance, we were, it was a lot of travel. And I guess we both were up for it because we travel a lot anyway. But there does come a point where you're like, all right, well, we need our money for music, not flights. And it's we fun. need our time for our family. 
funny you say that though you know at the time it was it felt so normal to be flying that often to see yeah, each other yeah and now that feels completely alien mm. if if you know we would fly at least once or twice a month oh you know, yeah either back Easy. and forth is that because there was purpose I'm not saying it's not purpose now but there, there was more um, urgency of purpose in those flights back then perhaps I also think I just loved going to Thoreau yeah. as well it's, it's was there someone there <laughs> well Woolbury obviously lived there but I loved going there it was so different from where I was living here and and it was a really good break uh, that we formed this routine out of nowhere where you know I would come home and do two or three solid weeks of writing or whatever I had to do here. And then it was kind of like, okay, check off time. And then we'd celebrate for three or four or five days and then fly back home and do the same thing. It became quite a comfortable routine, mm. but so different now looking back on that. That was a crazy effort to keep mm. that up, I think. It's not sustainable, I reckon. No, no, it can't be. No. And we were lucky. Neither of us were like on a tour. We were just recording. So it's easy to visit one another so much when you... Your home base and recording. So me moving to Adelaide, I was like, I'm ready for a small town. I can still do all my work that I have been doing out of that small town because I'm lucky the people I work for will fly me anywhere. They didn't need me to be in Sydney. Hmm. So it just worked in my favor. I guess that's the years I'd put my time in. And, you know, I could move anywhere, which is pretty rare as a musician, like you said, like hmm. being on the East Coast is... Um, where you want to be because you can fly to LA really easy. You can rehearse with the bands really easy. That's where all everyone's doing it, Melbourne or Sydney or even Brisbane. But I'd found my bands and they were willing to fly me. So I got really lucky, which is why I guess I decided it'd be nice to move here, get out of Sydney, have a bit of a change. And I love the music scene here. I love the city. How much did the beach play in your life? Do you have a connection with the beach at all? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's like, that's my soul. It makes me rooted in in the earth, as corny as that sounds, but I believe we kind of came from the ocean and I feel like I can let myself go in the ocean and it's chaotic and sensitive and I don't know, it's just something about the sand and the water and the horizon. So being close to that is really important to me. I'm really obsessed with coral and, and all that kind of stuff and shells. Pretty lucky where we live right now and a lot of music's inspired by that. I put a lot of ocean noise and all my stuff as well. And just to give the idea of like this calming place that people can um, let go and find themselves in. For something that is salty, there's a sense of cleansing with it as well. Yeah. Yeah, there's something about salt water that's really healing. Yeah, it really helps me. And I don't know if that's because growing up in Townsville, you're just surrounded by ocean. You're reminded about the coral reefs and how important they are to the ecosystem. Maybe just always having it in my life has made it super important. So, yeah, and now I've lived in three different cities that all have a different point of view of the oceans. It's been really interesting to see that throughout my life. Is this the first time you get sunsets over the water? Yeah. Or did you get that in Townsville too? No, because you you guys face west. Right way. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But I was obsessed of seeing the sun rise over the water in Townsville. Yeah. Yeah. Really obsessed of it. So I'm pretty lucky I get it here. There's probably something really deep in that. I don't know. I was always meant to be here, I reckon. (laughs) What's the most impressive sunset you've seen 
Chris? Oh, wow. What a question. It's probably too vast to answer. Cool, but cool question. As long as it's, um, it's tactile, in the same way that Brie has found uh, a lot of comfort in the beach, you know, for me, there are definitely two, two components where I could stare at the water for hours. Firstly, because there's a bit of mystery. You can't see what is underneath it. And one of my favorite things to do is literally just drive past the water or go sit there and try and spot a fin somewhere or a seal or a dolphin and you don't know what's going to happen. And then the water will start shining at you and the smell and the touch and the sound and how it feels in your skin. It could not be any more different to being in the city or even in the hills for that matter and so i'm sure i've seen a multitude of beautiful sunsets but i can't really pin it to where they would be as as long as it's something that made me feel different than how i was or wanting to leave from or different sort of feeling i think they all do that for me it's just this big sense of wonder just can't believe it's happening which must be a huge bonus for you brie considering you went to that town to get away from whatever was going on at the time through that you get to discover Chris in your life but mm. now to actually have those sunsets on top of it as well yeah a sense of day and night yes yeah it's so true I never thought of it like that it's all very slow mm. you know it's funny when you ask the question how does Siberian Tiger like you know when was the green light moment on something like that whereas for Bree and I we played in so many variations of each other's bands I play guitar or some saxophone for Brie sometimes and then sometimes she play keyboards and flutes for me and sometimes we go and play a wedding or knock up a cover gig or there are so many forms in which we were just playing for each other for a long time that I can't even really remember a time where we sat down and said like you know let's push the big red button on becoming a, a duo that makes music together it just sort of happens in in that sense where you become so familiar with each other that an idea like Emma's would pop up and it doesn't feel so much like a, you know, signing a job contract or something like that. You just grab a little bit of this and a little bit of that mm. and sort of smoosh it together and go, yeah, I guess that's a, a new thing. There's a sense of mm. flirtation I'm hearing there. That the fact that that first dance is still occurring even though the EP mini album is now out. That in fact, we as a listener can experience the first dance and see it continuing on the dance floor. And of course, this is a segue to the making of the music video film clip. Mm. Um, with the name of the EP, First Dance, and the video clip, they weren't connected. We didn't call the EP after that. I did because I think we had the call on me first. Yeah, we and, did. And then I think we even had done the video clip by then when we decided the EP name I can't remember all I know is it didn't take long um, I think it, we did come up with the EP sometime this year after the video clip not that we had correlated them but originally we were just going to call it EP1 <laughs> pretty standard <laughs> and, yeah. then, and then I would look at all like everything I was typing up I was like oh, it just doesn't look very good when I'm writing about the EP you know like and we're going to have all these interviews and stuff and people are going to write about it and one just doesn't look good I was like I think we need to come up with a better name how a video clip like that it's in the mm. show notes comes about yeah, obviously yeah. you're using the resources in the local community mm. what's around where we are now I really love video clips right I really love music clips. A big rage head, are you? Yeah, definitely. I'm real visual. 
I'm a little bit romantic with the ideas that I come up not romantic in the way to do with the relationship mm-hmm. just romantic in like house and photography can capture stuff and especially because we live by the beach I'm just always thinking of different ideas yeah, I must say yeah the way that you digest visuals there's like a, a different look on your face than when you're digesting new sounds for the first time you know you're, yeah. you're much more excited and you're just completely in awe of all things visual and patterns and stuff like that yeah I love it yeah it came about because one night we were driving down the road and we live in Henley Beach so there's a Henley Beach sailing club Chris would always point out he's like man there's because obviously we do cover gigs and we we know what certain lights look like I guess we're just clued on to that stuff and we would drive past this building on Friday night and there was these lights upstairs that looked like you know there was a band or something was happening there weren't the usual lights you know there was the blue and the reds and we're like well that looks like they must have music up there i'm having deja vu when i used to dj at the renaissance center so i know the yeah, lights you're talking about yeah. exactly they're, they're incredible they and they're lovely there were times when i'd run sometimes i run from here down to west beach and back and it would be you know pitch black and all these street lights along the water and then obviously for those of you who aren't familiar with the sailing club it's just so so many big glass windows pointing out to the mm. water and just these beams of purple shooting out into mm. the sea mist. And we just kept talking about it for ages. Just thinking, cool. Wondering what could possibly be going up there on a Sunday night. Mm. And so Bree did a bit of right. digging into it. Well, I guess we're always hunting for cool places to do cover gigs as well. And we're or like, even oh. just to go have a drink. Exactly. Yeah. We're like, man, that looks cool. Like, what if they have gigs that would be sweet? Maybe we should go see if they do. I went into the website. I was like, ah, oh, it's not music. It's tango dancing. I was like, crazy, look at all these photos of these cuties, you know, dancing. They're a little bit old and like, oh, there's a beautiful sunset in the window. I was like, what an amazing building and what a cool idea that they have tango dancing up there. Left it for a little bit and I guess it was just in the back of my mind that we had to build a, an idea concept for a video clip. And I guess I just like coming up with ideas. You can always hire people to do that, but I really wanted this band to be super hands-on as well with all the creative aspects i really love making music videos so i'm like well i want to do that i want to think of the ideas and work with whoever we hire and have their ideas incorporated with ours so i wrote up synopsis which was just really plain and simple what if we like see if we can hire the venue and see if the tango dancers would want to dance in our film clip and Chris and I can dance in the middle but it will slowly eventually come into you know the scene it won't be us just straight away it'll be little snippets of somebody's arm reaching out for somebody else's arm and then snippets of Chris and I but it won't show our full face yet and it was just a really simple idea we rang up uh, Nick, Nick Kinley yeah who's a cinematographer from Melbourne. He does a lot of Julia Jacklin's music videos and Stella Donnelly. Chris had worked with him on a film clip recently. He was like, this guy's just amazing. And I like, had the best time. He's got a good eye. Very vibrant palette yeah. or something. His aesthetic for, for framing and his stylistic choices with and the subtlety that he's able to get that out of you is phenomenal. Mm. We hung out on the clip we did prior to the Siberian Tiger one just in St Kilda and made a fool of ourselves for a day and then... It just felt like hanging out. And then he shows you the footage towards the end of the day and you can't believe that what you were looking at all day mm. looked like what you're watching on the screen. You know, he's got it's like he puts some sort of magic in between the filter and then what he captures and then he puts you something somewhere else. It's like an alternate reality. It's crazy. Yeah, that's the vibrance mm. that yeah. I was talking about. He's like, Look, it's gonna be pretty hard. 
to get these tango dances. He's like, don't be upset if you can't organize them. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll organize them. Don't worry. And he's like, seriously, that's like pretty ambitious. And I was like, nah, I'll get it done. He's like, I can only come for two days. He's like, sure. So I had the lineup hiring the venue when they were free enough hiring Nick and booking his flights when he was free enough and then lining up these tango dances when they were free enough so it was quite stressful to be honest I was yeah. working overtime to organize quite a lot of us to be all in the one place the tango dancers all wrote back and the couples that could make it said yes the venue said yes Nick said yes and then we were all here one day just at the venue and we walked in and Nick saw that there was a stage there and he was like you know what would be cooler than you and Chris just dancing it'd be really cool you performing the song to the dancers and we're like sure so on the day of the clip we just changed the whole script and we're yep. like you guys dance and we'll just sing you the song gears down the road gears down the road yep. yeah we literally came back home yep. got our flutes got our guitars well, got we were our looking mic after stands. the puppy as well we just got our puppy Ricky <laughs> yeah. and he was tiny and so we took turns shooting the day of coming back to feed Ricky and look after him and then going back to the shoot and that was pretty fun oh. and a little bit crazy looking back on it. Because more... you can't leave puppies that long when they're like no. very fresh. <laughs> and you certainly can't bring him to the sailing club either because he would have torn that place a new one. But <laughs> the more Bree talks about this, it becomes a bit more clear in my memory that there's no r- real strict idea of you, you must wear this and the lighting mm. must look like this. And we had some ideas for some colours you liked and we thought, you know, mm. you were just talking to the dancers and it theme of the project so far has been a little bit um, impromptu and you just sort of go with your gut and the way that Brie it brings that out in people I think is amazing and such that all these couples rocked up into this room and I wasn't part of much of the organising to do with the clip so I got to roll up there with some fresh eyes and just see that all of a sudden it just was beautiful straight off the bat and these really majestic looking people with cool coloured streamers and and we were wearing these suits and it sort of came like as it was happening it always it sort of came to fruition it was really cool to watch yeah it was really fun that it worked out um we had all this tango music lined up so they could dance to other music and they're like can we just hear the song that you're actually performing we put on call me and they're like you know this is a perfect tempo for tango dancing in fact we'd prefer to dance to this song because it's actually a really good tango dancing song like, okay so we're actually they were actually dancing to the song which i thought was really really beautiful like i wasn't expecting that the next level of that will be in a couple of weeks months even a year or so you go past that club friday night <laughs> and they're actually dancing to call on me and you'll be like that sounds familiar yeah, yeah. Yeah, we should go and drink there one Friday night when they got their classes back. It's a bit bit sweet now because nobody can really um, touch each other. Touch like each other. Anymore, yeah. I mean, I think they can now in South Australia, but I can imagine. Well, I think what it's still you know, distancing. Yeah, right. In public spaces like that. Yeah, right. One of the reasons why we liked the idea of dancers in the first place was, I know naturally when Bree and I make music together because we are a couple. Yeah, people generally who hear the music know that sort of part of the the backstory. They, there's an, a romantic tinge to it but the song wasn't written with that in mind we came up with that song more about your best friends or your childhood friends or whoever you could uh, yeah, sort of fall into sync with over friendship over long periods yeah. of time it is about the besties it is mm. and sometimes Bree and I are besties for each other and sometimes other friends of ours are our besties the, the thing about the dancers that is phenomenal is they're not a lot of them I don't think, I don't think if any, of them any were romantic partners Yet yeah. here's two people completely in step 
and in sync with each other in ways that intuition can only sort of describe mm. past a point. And trust. And trust. And there's so much trust in the way that they're moving with each other. That just could not be a more mm. perfect representation of how it feels to have the, that friend or that person in your life. Everybody's got that friend that you could not see for a year. And then you go to catch up and you pick up exactly where you left off and, and that person understands you better than anyone else could and all those feelings. The strength of platonicness. Yes. Mm. Yeah. It's, so, it's, it's almost unconditional, you know. When you've known someone for that long or you have that kind of connection with somebody. I really like Bree's verse. The idea of when you're caught in a crowd and if you don't belong, well, it won't be long until you're feeling free. For me, the lyric in the song, it makes me feel happy because there's so many times where all of us get caught in a metaphor for a crowd or whether it's a bunch of people or actually a place you don't really like or somewhere you don't feel familiar. Mm. And sure, you know, surely enough, two days will pass, one day will pass, a couple of hours will pass and you're back in somewhere where you feel at home and feeling at home feels great. <laughs> yeah. I think I wrote that as well about... Um, I remember going to some party or something and feeling really out of my depth and just calling up a friend and being like, I don't know these people here, hey, and it's a really weird vibe. Can I just talk to you for a bit? And I don't really do that anymore because I've become a little bit more confident within myself. But I just remember feeling like sometimes you just, you don't really feel comfortable and you just need to call on somebody. And that made me feel heaps better.
Call on Me, performed live by Siberian Tiger in their home for radio notes. How much of Siberian Tiger relies on the romantic partnership of the two and how much relies on the more platonic elements of the relationship? It's a good question. Uh, I think considering that the songs generally come from one of us at a time, I'd say it probably more relies on time than anything else. You know, Bree and I are two people who will do music regardless and it feels like wherever you put either of us will write music. I don't know so much if it's got anything, of course, by virtue of purely we're a couple, so we spend a lot of time together and we understand each other really well. But I feel like those are the things that bring the project together, to be honest, more than anything else. Do you feel a similar way or...? What do you yeah. think? No, I think you put that really well. It, it sort of felt to us like, oh, well, you know, Bree's not doing Bree Trainer. I'm not doing a Timbalf record. These songs feel like they need to be sung with someone and we understand each other really well and we've got a whole lot of time to do it. Mm-hmm. So what a nice place to put those particular songs and have that energy. These songs, you would have been just as two people living close together, would have had conversations about these songs as well. Oh, yeah. Which I know is stating the obvious, but that must have been a huge thing as well. No, totally. That's very enjoyable. Yeah, I'd heard your demos a bunch, you know, so I knew the songs very well. And I think it's just the idea of, like, when we were making the demos, like, years ago, it was just, like, because I was sitting around, hey, Brie, mind coming in here and just, like, laying down some uh, na-na-nas? Me being like, sure, because I'm around, like, Mm. and I'm a singer. And I'm just hanging out. Like, That's a really good point. Whereas I imagine if we were just besties and we didn't live together, it might not have happened mm. that way because there were just ideas that organically came out um, together because we organically share like studios next to each other and mm. we're both sitting in the lounge room. Yeah, and also on the flip side of that, even if we were romantically involved but had really different jobs... Mm. I can't see it coming together the same way, purely by virtue of being out all day and yeah. not spending that time with each other. And I'm also seeing, even if you're romantically involved and you lived in different abodes, mm. which romantic couples do, they do, yeah. yeah. then those ideas wouldn't have come across as well. No, totally and, and I love the point you bring up. There have been so many times, that then they're flooding to my memory now, where, you know, Brie will be on the piano and I can literally walk past the studio and go, sounds good, you know, and keep walking or, you know, I'll play yeah. some demo and Brie will come into the room and go, oh, I like that. And mm, it's same all... With lyrics. Same with lyrics. All of those incidental moments, uh, there's something about them that you've got to cherish them because when mm. both Brie and I know what it feels like to try and write on your own, for your own project Mm -hmm. and it's so much harder plane spotting was the first song you worked together on that was low-key we're in mile end on roebuck street in a a share house house, which is cool so it was us two and two other boys good mates of ours and um yeah it was just a daggy summer afternoon i think i just mile end is a good spot as well just Mm. outside the cbd of adelaide Mm -hmm. yeah and i walked into the backyard with some i just bought a new 12 string electric guitar actually and i was just strumming on it because brie was literally sitting in the backyard just smoking a ciggy with looking at some planes so i I wrote you could always see them come over our backyard and there's lovely trees you know there's chooks back there so i really enjoyed the backyard we had a duck as well yeah and i literally just wrote that you know, sitting in the backyard watching planes. And then I walked outside and said to Brie, hey, why don't you just write something now? And Brie literally came out with the verse on the spot. And then... We... I think I just made lunch. Yeah, so. you just made lunch. you just eaten a chicken sandwich, so you wrote about that. And then we <laughs> went inside and I started tracking it. 
said, yeah, that sounds great. Let's just put it down. And then as we were tracking it, Brie came up with the lyric, you know, and watch the grass grow longer. I thought, man, that couldn't have been easier. <laughs> so, so what is the deal about chili chicken sandwiches? <laughs> oh, my God. We were obsessed with them for a long time. Are these the servo types? No, no. I would hand make these. These are Brie Tranter specials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a lot of time on my hands. <laughs> and you were, you're very handy with the sandwich press. Yeah, I love it. I think that's a touring press. thing. Yeah, yeah, it is a touring thing. So I'd get some chicken, get some cheese, get some chili, chuck it on. You, you're, you're missing the best, but the Tabasco, that's that's your, that's like... Yeah, chili, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, maybe you can't say Tabasco in the song. Chili cheesy tobacco <laughs> sandwiches. <laughs> tobacco sandwiches. Wow. Oh, yummy. <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez! The point is, I made a lot of them, and we really liked them. <laughs> so tobacco sandwich. Chewing the tobacco. Chewing the yeah. tobacco. I haven't had a toastie that's that that good since. You're, no, you're the queen of the chili cheese. Yeah, we should get toastie. back onto it. Yeah. What's one of the favourite meals that you guys have had together? Oh, we've had some good meals together. Yeah. I bet you have. Yeah, like yes. our anniversary, because we don't spend too much money out in food, and sometimes. People get us really nice anniversary gifts and we share a birthday, so it's one of the two. We'll splurge yeah. on our anniversary or, or we'll splurge on our birthdays. What's star sign? Uh, we're both Leos. Yeah. <laughs> Fiery. <laughs> you almost choked on your coffee. But... It's challenging at yeah. times. <laughs> Yes. Two fiery, passionate Leos. With strong opinions. With strong yeah. opinions, literally sharing birthdays together. Yes. Awesome. So that brings an interesting dynamic into our relationship and working relationship as well. Back to it, the food. Back, back to, to the food. food. <laughs> uh is really great. We had a great dinner at Africola. Yeah, that was oh, amazing. You know, actually, maybe the top meal we've ever had was in Paris. Oh, that was, that was phenomenal, that was, actually. I, I can't remember the name of the... Um, restaurant. I think the fact that it was in Paris. It was in Paris. On, on <laughs> Valentine's Day. Yeah, we were both on tour. We were Does on it a... really matter the name of the place? No, it doesn't. No, but it was one of those... <laughs> a tower thing, <laughs> yeah. I something. Valentine's no. Day, nah, there's nah. hearts everywhere. It was so much more legit than that. It was like a proper hole in the wall French restaurant. Yeah, you know, so and good. we were walking the streets around our hotel and literally just sort of stumbled on it and saw that it was pumping in there. There was beautiful candles and it was that busy... French cuisine, people waiters tripping over each other, and we sort of walked in there and just winged it. I don't know any French, and no, I don't know any just Brie. And so we just sort of smiled and tried to charm our way into getting what looked like the best sort of items on the menu. And we got these two oh, steaks good. that I must say that was, that's, was that's the best steak I've ever had. Yeah, best meal I've ever had. And we yeah. got a um at the, at the end they shouted us a French tiramisu, which I thought was. Hmm. Also phenomenal because having a half Italian background and well versed with tiramisu, that was a really, really, really good. The one. fact that you can actually mm. say it properly and I can't. So that's Valentine's Day in France. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Normally we'd, you know, in our past lives, be away from our partners on special occasions, but it's pretty cool that we get to tour together because then when a special occasion comes up, we're together. Which we, we do like that to Corbs, that trip. Yeah, that was, we do that Matt Corby, who we both work for. That's the tour um, we were on, and he's, he yeah. did us a good solid. Yeah, solid well, there comes a lot of trust to that friendship, because I worked with him for like eight years. He was looking for a guitarist, and I suggested Chris. And we don't normally mess with partners on the road, because it means everyone else misses their partner. But I don't know, he just had a lot of trust in us, and I really, really appreciate that. Yeah. yeah, you have to be really sensitive of it, yeah. and, and you have to be good at 
compartmentalizing what is romance what is a work discussion what is a fun group time and and we'd spent so much time together that I think we can read each other pretty well like that but we still owe a lot to Corbs for having us on that solid year of touring because if that hadn't gone that way and you we had to spend that entire year apart you know who knows what kind of life it would look like now after mm. that and so you know we wanted to do the right thing by him and behave you know and be good members of the team and not be a shit stare a couple you know mm. yeah we're currently speaking with the two members that make up Siberian Tiger the brand new EP is called First Dance What's the greatest thing you've learned on the road regarding that team band camaraderie? What's the most important lesson? Yeah, because there would have been a few over the years. Mm. Oh, it's simple things. like, mm. And it's not simple when you're living on a tour bus. And it took me a few years to get my head around it, but like just helping the crew load in. Mm. It, you know, just being aware that if the crews worked 12 hours that day, that perhaps maybe you shouldn't get in the shower first, let them have the shower and get them a beer because they've just been working for you all day. Lessons like that took me years to learn for sure. Being respectful of what somebody might be going through, if it's personal stuff, if they're fighting with their partner or they got somebody sick and they're not with them, just being like, hey, you wanna go get a coffee or I'll go get you a coffee. Because on stage, it's all kind of sorted over the years we'd sorted our sound we'd sorted our parts there wasn't too much discussion on that so it was mostly just how to live with one another those lessons changed my life being considerate of where people are at and just the fact that it goes a long way to carry your own keyboard sometimes and to give someone a shower beer listen to the boss if he needs to vent some stuff because he's having a hard time and just be like i'm here for you Mm. like it's hard being away from your family like just stuff like that I think I was speaking with Alex Leo, speaking about Leo's, who was saying that this is a Matt Corby himself. He was on some festival or something near the beach and there were some stairs and Mr. Corby helped Alex with his guitar. Just that Mm. kind of camaraderie. Yeah. He gets it. He gets it. He He loads in. Because, you know, when we tour Australia, we have like a 16-person crew. As a band, we just lay back and rock up on sound check and that's it but in europe in america and uk three person crew and like you said there was a gig last year that was on the beach and there was 300 stairs mind you it was raining and mm. that's the beach so those stairs were stone so and they had sand all over so them. maybe this was the same gig it's just i think so what's the thing you've learned chris yeah uh, just to, to touch on quickly on what Bree said there is definitely an unconditional family aspect to it. If you are attuned to your family like that, you can pick up on those, the things that people are going through and people do it for you when you don't expect them to. And that's really nice. But for me, what I really got the most out of was really impersonal honesty about things. When, Because I sort of found quickly that when you are exhausted and everyone's going, if you think you're going through something, there is a almost a hundred percent chance that the entire group is going through their own version of the same thing. And what I really like in in music or putting together as a group is is when people can be very frank. I love that. I think there's a beautiful distinction between we're at work, we're achieving a broader goal that requires a whole bunch of really honest opinions and ears to get towards. Mm-hmm. And the way that is particularly that family was able to just you know get to the point of, 
this needs to be better, that does not need to be better, this is fantastic, that is not, please fix that, don't do that. You're coming from, with your family like that, they're so wise. And so I loved that because you, you can read between the lines in those situations I found. You know, it's not personal, it's not some sort of attack on your worth or your skill, it just becomes this this group effort where everybody's trying to lift the same rock, you know, and say, well, maybe we could do this better, we could do this better. And the way that it's delivered, when you're tired, you know, you just got to say what it is and move on and not dwell on it. And I loved the way that I got familiar with that style of communication. And then when it's over, then you go back to being, you communicate like friends do. But but before that, you, you're literally just trying to get this thing as good as it can be, as quick as it can in the most energy efficient way. I really came to respect the difference between productive work-related communication and soft, fun, personal communication. And I think that's something I'll, I'll love forever because it made me a thousand times better musician in only a couple months. Let's take another track off the album to talk about. This one has been getting a bit of traction. This, I guess, is the current single, Water the Plants. Mm. I think it connects because of the emotion and the relatability of the song as well. Mm. You obviously are plant lovers, just looking around our recording surrounds. So talk to us, Brie, about that and how much of a plant parent you are. (laughs) Plants kind of help me through a lot of depression. Obviously, the ocean does as well. But the difference with a plant is that you have to look after it every day. And this was before we had a dog. And I don't know, I was just going through quite a low time. Um, just just for some it. context, that was my fault. I, I chopped my finger off in a blender and Brie was, yeah. was looking after me end owned out on the couch for a solid few months out of work and very depressed because I also just had vocal surgery. Right. So so the amount that Brie was shouldering that she so elegantly glazes over as a tough time was more than I've seen any human shoulder for another partner in a very long Right. Time. See, I was assuming so you weren't in the picture yet. This was low and I caused it. So, yeah, yeah this is my public apology. But back to Brie because I thought I needed to – I should clarify that. You realised yeah, you just interrupted her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's fine. I guess I was looking after you as well. But I don't know. There's just something about plants where they don't ask for that attention. They just die if you don't look after yeah. them. And I love that they're connected to the moon. I love that they're – so beautiful and they got all these beautiful patterns and I was just standing in the shower one day and I have a lot of plants in the bathroom and I was just thinking about how cool that relationship is and you know what most days for a while there all I could do was water the plants and keep them alive and just the fact that like I then started a veggie garden and then the process happened again where I was just like wow I got to really take care of these seedlings and it's given me a bit of purpose and you know what if that's all I do today that's great. Otherwise, I'd just be sitting around moping. And I really came out of that depression a lot better person, better understanding for nature, a bit more respect for the fact that we eat this food. And yeah. Also, the responsibility of life as well. Exactly. Yeah. That brings us to Ricky the puppy. Mm-hmm. Ricky. King Ricky, registered as. King Ricky. <laughs> Where did this life decision come from? Was it the fact you weren't touring, that you were based back in Adelaide? Yeah. Because as touring musicians, getting a live animal is even one step up from a plant. Yeah. (laughs) It's a few hops, skips and jumps away from a plant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was dying for a dog. Yeah, Bree's always wanted a dog. And we had a bit of a period at home. I think I don't really think much more into it than that. I think um, I'm a bit of a personal I wanted to start settling down. I've been touring for 10 years. And I was like, you know what? I would really love a family. 
you know, in the next couple of years. And I've always wanted a dog. And I think it's a really nice step up as a couple to have that responsibility. And yeah, it's also a tool to stop me touring because I didn't want to tour the world anymore. That's the key, isn't it? Yeah. And I knew that if I didn't get a dog and I told like... (laughs) You know, the Middle East or Matt Corby that I wanted a baby. And they're like, yeah, 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 you can still come on tour for a bit. It it would just keep going. And I wanted to slow down. Hmm. Of course, I'm very happy to do some Siberian Tiger stuff. But I just knew I wouldn't slow down. Because it's very hard to slow down when you can always just keep saying yes to touring. So, And I've always wanted a dog. And I was like, this dog will stop me touring <laughs> like internationally. And I think that's what I'm looking for. Because that's, I don't know what it is, mid-30s. It's just like my nesting is just like clicked in. And it's like, you need to nest. You need to find your roots in your home and build that. You've been on the road for so long that now is about home. And like a puppy was that for me. So you know? plants were getting you out of the depression not to put words in your mouth yeah no that's it and ricky the puppy is giving you a sense of home is the question yeah that's a beautiful way to put it Mm. big time yeah he's a special little guy yeah he's very special he does feel like home yeah he really does he drove me insane (laughs) for um two months i think three months maybe three months (laughs) i was being honest and then he taught me really quickly he's been the first maybe the first uh, living form other than humans in my life because we don't have kids yet but th- it's been able to teach me that you you don't have to be in control of the way you spent your day or, or how neat the studio is or all these kinds of OCD fanatic traits that I tend to subscribe to with Ricky he's just such this ball of unconditional positivity and chaos that I've really become quite comfortable with just loving whatever he throws down for that day and finding the positives in that instead of trying to control everything and only be satisfied at the end of that it's so beautiful watching him just tear each day a new one and have heaps of fun along the way i don't know it's just he chilled me out i guess if you haven't already is ricky going to be a bit of a beach dog he loves the beach. yeah he loves the beach yeah i think that was my ideal scenario because i walk the beach every day everyone has all these dogs it was just like pining in me to have a dog on the beach just to walk with and just be like sweet sometimes i don't want to talk to people but i want company and he's that he's a bit chaotic in the moment but he'll get good yeah we had to ban him from the beach for yeah. a little bit because he started well he, he pisses other dogs off accidentally he doesn't he doesn't know how to play friendly yet but he'll get there he needs some friends yeah speaking of friends let's talk about the opening track ivy mm. it's about a friend's daughter called ivy what do we need to know about this song This song's one I wrote a while ago for a mate of mine who went through a breakup and he's a single parent. And we had a night at uh, Karakalinga at a friend's place, just me and him and and just just shooting the shit and talking this all through about the loss of a partner he was with at the time. And he was so deep in it that, you know, I just wanted to be right next to him and making sure we got to the bottom of all these things he needed to talk about and explore. And we stayed up by a fire and looked at the stars and talked for hours and hours, well into the night about it. But the thing that uh, stuck with me the most was that in my life, if something like that had happened to me, the only person responsible for the consequence was probably that person and myself, and then maybe my friends at the pub were having a drink about it. Mm. But you know, for my friend, it was really different because this sort of was like a tiered trickle-down effect, like a waterfall of what this breakup meant, you know, for him, for him and his daughter, 
and then just for his daughter you know and that was such a yeah there's this full of a chain reaction of consequence there that I hadn't experienced in my life for something that I'd known as romance or the romance to begin or end and I, I guess the song is just a capturing the, the conversations we had all night and writing something on behalf of how maybe that she can listen to when she grows up and form her own relationship with it or not or never hear ever or it doesn't really matter but it was sort of formed out of that night and and another thing was the I was quite fascinated with the idea of who, who's parenting who sometimes you know he would say quite a bit that sometimes he'd feel he needed to be the responsible and the strong one and then every now and then those roles would flip and when he was feeling low, Ivy would just naturally take the other the other role and, and start comforting him. And I thought that was a really beautiful part of it too because you probably can't see that coming. That's how empathy works though. Yeah. Mm. And I think sometimes a child's capacity to act on that empathy with such profound generosity is astounding. You know, when they're so, she's so young at the time, to assume such a role like that is amazing. What's the response been from the father of Ivy to the song oh he's known it for years so I think um, he was just really flattered that I bothered to even think about the night we had you know (laughs) I don't think much more than that but he he writes his own songs and he's always writing and moving on so I think it's just another another song that got written about a time we had yeah okay because it's a strong opener to the EP mini album as well yeah Mm. particularly giving the children the next generation the voice in there as well Mm. at the top of it which is nice to know yeah I don't think I thought of it like that but it's nice to hear it said back yeah thanks very much for joining Radio Notes yeah thank you for having us thanks John Bree and Chris of Siberian Tiger First Dance is available through part-time record and remote control thanks very much to Bree and Chris of Siberian Tiger next time Lasma will be our feature guest. RadioNotesPodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Merch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia. 